0: published in 2020, The Author's Porch is a space for authors to share their literary works of art. Founded by C.J. Ives Lopez, The Author's Porch puts authors first and becomes a premier destination for all at every level in their careers. When you join The Author's Porch, we want you to think of us as a beacon of light, bringing you home to a porch where your family is waiting to usher you in to your greatness. From live cast to podcast, blog posts, and most recently, the magazine. The Author's Porch brings promotional services and advice to authors to get their writing published. Whatever the issue, the Author's Porch connects writers with a service desire to create their dreams into reality. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Author's Porch for our second time today. I am super excited to welcome Dr. Hari D. Sharma to the Author's Porch. How are you doing, Dr. Sharma?
1: I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I am having a great day. I am talking to leading industry experts today. We had uh, Chief Master Sergeant Retired Ralph Ave earlier, and now I get to talk to you. So it is a fantastic day, and I am absolutely loving it.
1: <laughs> Yay. Yay.
0: So everybody, let me give you a little background on Dr. Sharma before we get into this conversation that I have been anxiously waiting to have with Dr. Sharma because I love the con- the conversation on climate change. So uh, Dr. Hari D. Sharma is a PhD civil and geoenvironmental engineering expert whose research has been published in renowned technology journals and is currently used as textbooks at prestigious academic institutions across the United States and internationally. He is also the author of seven nonfiction books and dedicates his efforts to environmental preservation and improving the quality of human Life. Climate Change and Leadership Shaping Civilizations, an ongoing journey of 40,000 years as evidenced by iconic monuments and statues is available on pre-order and will be released in October 2021. I'm ready for that book to come out. I'm going to have to read that because I have been somebody who has not academically followed climate change as much as I should, but somebody who is very interested in the subject. So thank you for being here today to talk to all of us about your fantastic book that is coming out and also the subject itself.
1: Oh, you are most welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. Yeah, so has this, so obviously This is a passion of yours since you have wrote textbooks for prestigious universities, and you have wrote uh, several books on the subject. What sparked this passion?
1: Um, To start, uh, before we go there, I wanted to mention that at heart, I am a humanitarian. I would like to appreciate the human life and uh, I came to this country for for postgraduate work and then after that I have been given a chance by the people of this country to practice and learn more so I'm very thankful to this country its people and being a humanitarian I'd like to give back to what I received from this great country. And the best way I thought, and you give what you know. And mm-hmm. so when I achieved all these expertise uh, in geo-environmental engineering, which basically is protection of soil, water, and water, both surface water and the groundwater and the air. And how to protect it? What are the techniques to do it? Uh, so as I studied more and more about it, practiced more about it, uh, I felt I need to spread the awareness about uh, health and environment, environmental protection, and currently it's a climate change which is going to have that big impact on it. So. That's the starting point, but the question many times people ask me, as you uh, have mentioned earlier, CJ, is the the, the title, the main title of the book is Climate Change and Leadership Shaping Civilizations, and then subtitle is An Ongoing Journey of 40,000 Years as evidenced by iconic monuments and statues. Then the question is, what, what, what brings you about monuments and statues? You say evidence. What not? What, what about other evidences? And so, to answer that question, <clears throat> I'll have to go back 40 years ago. 40 years back, when I began traveling different parts of the world because that's my one of the passions is to travel, to find firsthand about the culture, civilization, and the people, the human being. And so I thought I, I read a lot. I'm every reader of history, culture. Um, so after that, I thought I need to witness myself. I can see all of them, but whatever I can. And that took me to different parts of the world. And when I go there, I went there, I focused on the same thing, humanity and human culture and human civilization. And a few years ago, when I started looking back my collection of information, collection of photos, one thing came clear to me that civilizations or history is, although in history you will say it was Julius Caesar who went all the way to England. It was Alexander the Great who conquered half the world. It was Pharaohs who started all the ancient Egyptian culture on which basis uh, Greek and Roman cultures and Western cultures are based. Uh, we can say so many things. It was, uh, and it was Charles the Great who united Central Europe and and Western Europe. But is that the humanity? Is that the civilization? And all the history is written by the winners. And the winners of yesterday's winner could be today's loser. And so mm-hmm. whatever they wrote yesterday. <laughs> would be contradicted many times about records of today. So I thought that's, but they still have a place there. But I thought maybe what I should do is I should look into the, not only historical, but scientific basis of this. And Mm -hmm. the scientific basis of that is from uh, archaeological records, those monuments and statues are telling me. And in last 30 years, actually, all that evaluation and analysis is being based on scientific data. Mm. And more scientific data, more you get to the reality. It may not be 100%, but it's better than somebody's records only. And that's why I started writing this book. I started looking into more into details, and I came to the conclusion that climate change has been making ups and downs of the civilizations. Leaders, good uh, visionary leaders, made it better and advanced the civilization. Those who were not like that, the civilizations fell. And so that's why they are important, and then I went forty thousand years because uh we can talk later on why I went forty thousand years to represent the present day in one book yeah. and uh, so that's that's how the background of my uh research on the book and documentation and writing this book uh, comes from,
0: yeah it's very fascinating because i had some travels of my own through my military career and when one of the monuments that i was able to see that absolutely astonished me was stonehenge over in england and when i was able to see stonehenge firsthand and it's still i mean you look at pictures from back in the 70s or even earlier it looks exactly the same. It's just very well roped off now because they want to preserve their history of it. And But then there's other locations that aren't as well preserved. Um, and I look at that and what you're talking about and how the climate has changed it as well as humans and society as a whole and, and how we treat our, our histories and stuff like that. And I think that what what you've written is very interesting because you know there's a project online right now where people are using drone footage as well as um, AI and all this technology stuff that we absolutely love, right <laughs> uh-huh. and and they're taking it and they're recreating some of the monuments that have been lost over in the middle east with the destructions uh with war that has just dist- destroyed a lot of these monuments this historical stuff and and i i sit and i think about how how sad it is that a lot of that stuff is gone because we we haven't been good stewards of our own um, earth i guess you would say so i want to ask you this have has this been a field that you were interested in your entire life or was it something that through your studies as you went to school that you became interested in? Very
1: good question. Um, I have, as I said, I have always been interested in human humanity and civilization.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, of course, as you learn more, read more, see more, Experience more. Um, I would not say mature, but you, 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 you have you. Say, what yesterday you knew? I said, "Oh my goodness, there is so much to to know about it." And um, you, you talked about drones, and AI, and all these things. Um, it is. It was 1969 when I was doing my PhD. Uh, The man landing on the moon fascinated me so much. I, for us, civil engineers, uh, building roads, bridges, pipelines, refineries, uh, and its adverse and good impact on humanity. I just was so different than uh, a, a man landing on the moon. And I was, I was amazed to see how uh, one what, what what was said one one step one small step is giant step for humanity or humankind something like that mm-hmm. and so my interest then moved towards more technology mm-hmm. and and i, I just want to give you one example um, how more technology and i'm not a technology man but i am a reader and end user of that technology. Um, Nowadays, we are using uh, satellite imaging, um, ground penetrating radar to know what's below without excavating it, because excavation itself has dangers and you lose ground. Uh, And then um, I uh, maybe, yeah, I think I should talk. Uh, the deep ice coring, the s- deep sediment coring, uh, and, and and they give us fascinating information about our past. Mm-hmm. The ice cores in uh, Antarctica give, with the technology that we have now, give 800,000 years, past 8,100 years, what was the carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere at that time? It gives us what was the temperature near the Arctic area at that time. Hmm. The Polans, um, when they have a um, eruption, volcanic eruption, and you see the cores, and you can see the distinct layer during a certain period of time.
0: Right.
1: And, and you can then correlate it with the weather, the, the whether the climate was dry, we had mm-hmm. flooding, and we had so, and then they have correlated that with the with the records in the monuments and in the temples in Egypt at that time. So, this new technology supported by the information in, provided in the monuments and statues that correlation excites me. I really, and then your question was, Did I know at that time? Was I interested at that time? Uh, I was basically interested, but I did not know that we are going to go and get this kind of technological help from yeah. our research. So Yes, as I, as I learn more, I am able to understand all our civilizational past.
0: Yeah, you got even more excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I read an article about um, the permafrost over in Antarctica and the fear of some of that uh, with climate change, it falling out and some diseases and other things that could possibly be brought about because of it being inside the permafrost and it being obviously extinguished or for lack of better words it those going away because of it being frozen in the permafrost so i wanted to ask you do you feel that these fires earthquakes hurricanes and current things going on in our world do you feel that they are indicators of the current um Things going on with climate change and and how that's coming about.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, I'll I'll answer about uh, uh, fire later on. But since you brought up about permafrost, um, I worked in the northern part of Canada, hmm. and uh, I worked for multinational companies in my in, a, in my professional life before I went and understood climate change because by working there I realized how our work, if we don't do it properly, may adversely impact the environment and all these things. So in the permafrost, a couple of examples. Alaska Pipeline, which is in Alaska, it it goes uh, through um, lots of permafrost areas and they have piles which support pipeline, small bridge kind of thing, pipeline of the ground. And permafrost most of the time is permafrost. It's like a rock and maybe in some places, top three, four, five, maybe up to 10 feet, uh, freezes and the thaws in summer. But Mm. below that, it just stays like that. So the piles are supported on them. Mm. Now, when you have um, climate change, global warming, and that zone of permafrost, uh, there used to be seasonal frost and then the permafrost, that zone, that, that the line of demarcation is moving north. Mm. And so all those supports are getting weakened. And so there is a danger of those pipelines. In Siberia, uh, they they had built all the oil and gas infrastructures and other deployment, mining, uh, lots of structures and roads were built on permafrost. And now they are uh, melting. And from some point of view, it's good because now they can grow things there more than they, they could, but now all those structures are in danger. Um, Arctic and the Arctic, um, the glaciers, when they melt, they release carbon dioxide, which is a, which is a uh, greenhouse gas. Mm. So it's not only us, but in direct effect of global warming, freezing and thawing of that, and releasing the carbon dioxide and many other diseases, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, they will be released. So I am for sure this is impact of climate change. Forest fires is also if you look at the uh, now it's a man-made issue also, but yeah. uh, but the ground temperature is increasing, the areas where they were marginally good for everything, are very dry. The forests are dry. And a, any small amount of ignition causes all these fires. They are more frequent. They are more intense. Uh, if you look at the, uh, some people could say, we do not know what happened about uh, 1,000 years ago. But we do know for the last two 300 years. We mm-hmm. have pretty good records. And and I am I'm, I'm uh, very sure that I'm convinced that climate change is the main factor in creating floods, Midwest Europe, the 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 intense storms, uh, <laughs> and in the in the Northwest and in California, you yeah. have many fires so many wildfires so yes the answer is yes
0: yeah it's uh it's becoming almost the everyday conversation now um and you know and i know that there's experts in the field like yourself and others that that see it and it's your field of study and and it's because society's Inability to understand what can effectively change it, and and ways to to kind of mitigate what what they're doing, change some of their habits to to help. I was reading up a little bit on on your background and some of the things that you've done within your career, and I did read that you worked in solid waste containment facilities and designed landfills landfills, sorry. So how do you feel? And when I read that, I was like, you know, every day I drive down the street, well, I don't drive every day, because I stay in the house mostly now. But (laughs) (laughs) when I when I drive down the street, and even growing up, um, you would see people just throw stuff out the window, you see trash everywhere. And I know, you know, there's always the conversation about these, the landfills and trash everywhere and the ocean. So how do you feel that making these containment areas and having proper landfills uh, can help us affect climate change in a good way. Kind of make the world more cohesive, I guess you would say.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a question which we all see. So, you know, the climate change uh, indirectly we can see but the landfill and the waste, we see uh, a lot more. Um, in uh, I guess it was early '80s when the, the ship went. Uh, uh, I don't remember the details where it go, but they were dumping the waste, uh, the, the, the 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 landfill waste in the ocean, mm. and then it, it then it uh, came back on the on the shores. Syringes and all these things, and the people on the beach, they were, you know, they were uh, experiencing that kind of thing. So, you can take your waste, throw all the way away in the ocean, but it's going to come back. And so, that's how the uh, late 70s, mid 80s, the awareness about. containing the waste. Uh, Earlier, they used to call it dump. So Mm -hmm. we go and throw the dump. But then that will come back in our um, towns and our cities and our roads. So I strongly feel that we have to have, and I think there are regulations now, that we have to have well-designed landfills and well-designed means the old ones, they have to be closed, because you cannot do anything with them other than properly manage it and close it, and no more dumping there. But the new well-designed should be away from the population, should have geologic conditions such that the, the, the liquid, does not contaminate the groundwater and it is stable and then also you place a liner uh, mm-hmm. which they in in common term we can call it a plastic liner but it has to be specific high density polyethylene
0: mm-hmm.
1: w- which when properly placed and then then you place with a with an engineered way to Put the waste in there, take out certain hazardous waste away from it, uh, recycle the material which doesn't have to go to a landfill, which can be taken out and stored separately. Uh, so that kind of engineering design is required and is being done now. Uh, and so that works pretty good. I I can talk a lot about uh, landfill design and landfill issues, but I guess this is not the time to do it, but there are different techniques. You can place the waste and then you can close it, or you can, with a control way, you can biodegrade it, and then take the liquid and, and treat it. Uh, yeah. so, so that's, and it is being done. The the key issue is, CJ, what your your your, plan, your program is spares awareness about different issues. Uh, I... My goal is to spread the awareness about what I know. Yeah. And that is uh, contaminants should be controlled, landfill being one of them, and, uh, and many other environmental issues. So awareness spreading will work. And, and I have seen that in the last 30, 40 years, 50 years. I have seen as we, we, we talked about it, we spread the awareness. There will be always naysayers, but majority, vast majority will abide by these engineered techniques because their whole, their, their personal life, their health is going to be impacted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so that's what, yeah.
0: <clears throat> what, um, so your book that's coming out next month what was the process to write this book and how long did it take you? Like when I say process, um, yeah, what was your process? I, I mean, I don't know how to break that down. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I lost my, no. my brain just kind of went off in the squirrel moment. And I was like, wait a minute, come back over here, back on the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that makes us human. Yeah. We are not artificial intelligence or computers, even, even they also, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, they lock up every once yeah, in a while. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> the almighty made us better than them and gives us back what we, we are missing. It comes back. Yeah. It may take a little while, but it comes back.
0: Right. So when, when you were writing your book, um, what, what was your process to get all the information down in it? Did you plot it out or did you, did you say, you know, I want people to understand how it's affecting, um, these monuments and, and statues across the world so they can see the difference from, from this year to this year or over the past 40,000 years and, and how it's affecting, uh- <clears throat> That's
1: a loaded question, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because because, uh, 40,000 years, probably nobody would be interested in 40,000 years. And the reason I went there is, uh, in the past, um, whatever was done 40,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, whatever our civilization went through, If the at that time the future generation, let's say five thousand years ago, the next generation will be two thousand years ago. For two thousand years ago, if they did not learn what civilization went through and what ups and downs they went through, and if two thousand years ago they did not learn that five past five thousand years, then they were doomed too. They were adversely impacted also. Mm -hmm. So learning from the past is very important. People say, what's the use of uh, going back to the uh, past? Past is dead. Yes, past is dead. You don't dwell on it, but you learn from it. Mm -hmm. So when I, uh, I will focus on this book. Different books had, my different books had different, processes. Uh, But this book, I had a lot more information this time, because um, it's available. And our empirical-based means observational-based science gave me more and more information. So then I decided, I have so much information, what do I put? So first thing I had to analyze and synthesize that information. Mm-hmm. Then I said, "Who I'm going to write it for is uh, who is going to be uh, the people I want to be aware of these things, spreading the awareness." And uh, so th- then then I uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, in a sieve, I screened the things which were of use for our civilization and the rest which were which are important they are not useless but for this purpose they are not of use and and that's what then I took the thing which are applicable for this and for past few years and when I saw in in the past 40,000 years how climate change has made our humanity go from one place to another place. I'll just very briefly tell you that uh, about 100,000, let's say, these are as you go in the past, uh, 10,000, 20,000 doesn't mean too much. Accuracy of 10,000 doesn't mean too much. But suppose 100,000 years ago, there was a climate change. And the data, as I said, based on the coring and based on other things, 100,000 years ago when uh, uh, east part of Africa started getting drier and uh, hotter.
0: <laughs>
1: the population, the humanity from there started moving away. And, uh, and then they moved to different parts of the world. And I show a picture in my book uh, how, how the humanity started migrating from that place to different other places just because of climate change. And then 40,000 years ago, the 40,000 year comes because now I have more evidences. When Neanderthals were roaming Europe, uh, 100,000, 40,000, even before, at that time, European weather was cooler and wetter. So Neanderthals' food was mammoths big animals. And as around 40,000 years, because of the volcanic eruptions and because of other leakage from the ground and from uh, ocean, uh, the, the greenhouse gases um, made the Earth warmer. So that area became drier and warmer, and became more of a grassland kind of thing. Neanderthals couldn't survive that. who could? People who are coming from south where the environment was for grassland kind of thing. They started moving up, moving up, and they survived there. And Neanderthals, there are different theories. Some of them um, uh, um, became a part of modern human, but 95% of the population uh, of Neanderthals was finished was uh, extinct yeah. and, and, and we modern humans took over again the climate change
0: mm.
1: and, uh, and then um, then other future things and so the, we have to learn that anytime climate change happens, if it happens from natural causes, then that's one way natural causes, we cannot control it, but we do, because natural causes after four, five, six years, the reasons for that problem goes away, it dissipates. So the leadership is important. The leadership properly stored food, planned for the people, then they say this shall pass too, and it did pass. But if the leadership was not uh, wise enough, far-sighted, then that four, five, six, uh, even ten years were devastating for humanity, devastating for that civilization. And that kind of record and knowledge I thought should be passed on. And so that happened 40,000 years ago, that happened before that too, and has been happening so of, often. Mm. But for the last 50 years, actually 200 years after post-industrial um, uh, industrialization, they say started 1760. Uh, of course, that's a date they gave. It didn't happen overnight. It mm-hmm. took <laughs> it took time. So most of the industrialization's effect was in mid 1800s mm-hmm. and later on. When electricity generation became important, your steel production became important yeah. for our, our, our civilization's progress. Yeah. When uh, uh, emission from the cars became. And so now, now it is not a natural cause, it is we humans are creating the problem. Yeah. And, right? And so in the past, if we went through this, we had those kind of problems. Now we are we are more knowledgeable. We are better communicators. We have everything better than in the past. So it comes up to us, incumbent to us to make everybody aware of it so that we keep on progressing. We cannot stop progressing. So we keep on progressing with the right kind of technology and also... Avoid this climate change or get solutions to climate
0: change. Yeah, isn't that the thing? It's like stopping progress is almost like, don't do that. Don't stop progress. (laughs) It's like, I think that progress can still happen, but pay attention to you can't keep progressing if it's going to harm things that is going to basically halt. The Earth from moving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <That's> really- <laughs> like have pro- don't don't do progress just for the sake of progress. Do effective progress. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, this is such fascinating, uh, such a fascinating topic. And I think that more, you know, I, I tell everybody that I'm a humanist at my core. I believe in the I believe in the human spirit. I believe in furthering humanity as a whole. I mean, I won't say that I am perfect. You know, I make my mistakes. I, you know, use things that I, you know, paper plates versus a ceramic plate at times, certain things that I could do better. As well, but I believe in advancing humanity because we're over making money, advancing humanity over, oh, well, this is mine, 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 you can't have it type of mentality. But I think that there, there's definitely room for improvement in everybody's life in order to advance humanity as a whole. But if you could give one piece of advice to just the average viewer sitting in their house, that they could one small little piece of change that they could do that could make a small effective change uh, for climate change or global warming, something that they could do that wouldn't, because most people won't do it because it puts them out too much. We all know that most people won't recycle because they don't want to have to have two trash cans. Unfortunately, that's humans. And that's, that's mostly a lot of, you know, people and how they go. But what would be one thing that you would tell people, you know, if you do this small thing, that's a small drop in the water. And when you have a small drop in the water, we all know that that ripple effect can sometimes make a tsunami. What would be that one small thing that you would think could help the average person?
1: Um, Small thing the definition of small thing may vary from people to people. So I would give a a few small things for some, it may be small from others. It may be too much. They don't want to do it or, or they cannot because of their means. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would give you a few, which will be, uh, which I consider small. Um, One, as you said, um, try to minimize the waste because in the end it's going to go to landfill and landfills if they keep on filling fast since population is increasing you know increased population is one of the other problems which has created climate change Um, so if you don't want landfills uh, moving towards your uh, your house your household your your then you have to minimize the waste production. So waste production doesn't mean stop eating. You, you do it, but you, you separate. In our area, we get a small separate uh, can where you put your biodegradable material. Actually, that should be the only thing we should go to landfills. Everything else can be used one or the other way. And so that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Second, uh, so uh, so that way, what will happen is less biodegradable material go to landfill, less methane will be uh, generated, and methane is one of the gases which causes climate change. Also, mm-hmm. I would also say that should um, should. Um, encourage our leaders to provide us directions and facilities so that we have green gases, uh, green uh, energy, uh, solar energy, we should encourage that because that's a free energy. And as um, our governments put more money in the research, we can have a better better solar panel, more efficient solar panel. Try to go so, you know, uh, we can encourage our politicians, our local leaders to give us incentive and they should, of course, they should put their own example by Mm -hmm. having (laughs) by having electricity generated green energy. Try to take the mass transit if possible. That way, you have fewer emission of uh, carbon uh, monoxide and all the carbon uh, gases. These are the things I would uh, I would suggest, uh, if possible. If you are a local area, you are going use bicycle or walk. Uh, It's good for your health too. So, (laughs) so these are the small things, uh, and and. uh, uh, have a uh, your leaders to encourage you uh, to 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 provide energy because you need energy you cannot stop energy but there are technologies nowadays there are available technologies
0: mm-hmm.
1: so this is what i would uh,
0: you know and, and i think most of it is a mind mindset shift right it's a paradigm change because i We lived in Germany for three years and we lived out on the economy and the the government, it's, it's mandatory that you recycle. You don't have a choice and they only pick up your trash once a month. So you have to store your trash in your garage or in a shed for a month and it has to be separated or they will not pick up your trash. So I think that it should be mandatory. Recycling should be mandatory. I know here in our town you can recycle all you want but it's the same trash truck that picks up the recycling that picks up the trash so it doesn't matter yeah. We're all going in the same place. So it's really fruit, you know, frivolous and then I know for like my christmas lights my Christmas lights that go outside my house are all solar lights. I don't use anything but solar lights outside of my house. That's a small little thing that I do instead of using plug-in lights. So, I mean, I know it's it's a little, you know, people are like, well, that doesn't make a big difference. Well, it does because it's less energy that I'm using inside my house. I mean, it, I think it's a mindset thing that people need to to get into. You could make small, effective changes. You just have to you just have to think a little bit more about it. Instead of buying bottled water for my house, I bought a refrigerator that has a filter in it that produces water. And if I'm going to have to go outside the house that I need water, I have a reusable jug that I take just little things like that, that, that will help people. Um, So I think your advice is, is wonderful that, you know, you can make small changes in your lifestyle if you're willing to, where can people reach you, Dr. Sharma, if they want to reach out to, to talk to you more about what you do as well as grab a copy of your book? Um, I am uh,
1: I'm on the, uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Amazon, and I have my own website, which is haridsharma.com. H-A-R-I d like david is it a -A so they can reach me there and amazon and probably the best place where nowadays (laughs) we all buy stuff Mm. Uh, so (laughs) so yeah you can be reached there and um i will be happy if you send me the emails in my website and any questions um, um I, as I always think that we always say that we have a right of this and this and this, but we also have a duty. The right and duty should be put together. So if I say that I would give you all this, I would give you for sure. That's my duty. Yes. And uh, any information you need, whatever I can, as I say, I'm not know all. I... I'm a human being, I have limitations, but I'll be happy to do an answer and uh, and anytime you want this kind of uh, conversation through different, uh, electronic media, I would be happy to do it. Yeah. So please contact me. And-
0: yeah, And we're going to also include all of your your sites here in the comment section of the show as well as in the show notes when we move the audio over to podcasts so people will be able to contact you. If anyone wants to reach out to Dr. Sharma, I've had a fantastic time having the conversation. And then when we did a technical um test last night, we had a wonderful conversation. I could talk for hours about this subject, as well as just the the extreme knowledge that you have in this field. Uh, civil engineering, we talked a little bit about that last night. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you, you have a wealth of knowledge. And I think that people need to capitalize on that because we're not talking to our experts we're making decisions based off of just doing searches on an internet which isn't a bad thing because sometimes we get directed to our experts but the thing is we need to to lean on our experts and the information that they have because of the wealth of knowledge that they've spent the years in researching and living in their field. So we need to reach out to them. Dr. Sharma, before we end today, do you have any last words that you would like to share with your audience as well as any other viewers that are going to watch this?
1: Um, actually, it has been a very interesting conversation, and I really I'm an honor to be invited for this, and I really thank you very much. Um, The the thing I would, I always uh, say that to, to, actually I say that to my family most of the time, is never stop learning. Learning is a lifelong mission, and should be a lifelong mission of us all. Uh, and, uh, and the other thing is, share whatever you have learned. Uh, not that you will always be right. If you share with other people, many times when you talk to different people, you learn more from them. So learn by your in, in, initiatives. Learn from talking to others. Enrich yourself, and uh, and, and, uh, and the last thing is set your personal example. For example, if I say I'm going to um, give some help to needy person, I, I can say it, but do I do it? Mm-hmm. And so that personal example uh, goes a long way Uh, You can write books, but if you don't follow it, nobody will, uh, you won't have any credibility. So learn, communicate, and set examples. That's what I try to do. I may not be perfect, but I try to do.
0: Amen. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to end the show, be a lifelong, lear- lifelong learner. I had a great chief of mine in the Air Force tell me that you're only as smart as the of people around you. So make sure that you share the knowledge at every corner that you go. Thank you, Dr. Sharma, for being on the show today. It has been an honor learning from you and, and sharing your lifelong work with everybody around us. And I can't wait for your book to come out because I'm quite interested in learning about these monuments over the past 40 years and how Mm -hmm. everything has changed and all the stuff that's going to be in this book is going to be a fantastic read for anybody in the field as well as all of the people who like me like to learn just all kinds of different things because there's so much in this world to learn from so guys don't forget to join us here on the porch to find your next great read your new favorite author, and listen to the best advice in the industry. We have issue number two of the Author's Porch magazine coming to you on Amazon October the 5th. And we can't wait to have you here the next time to shine the spotlight on the author and where every good conversation happens. Dr. Sharma, thank you so much again. And we will see all of you next time here on the porch. Bye, everybody. Right, thank Bye, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye.